That's the right video. <laughs> we are pros. We got this on lockdown. Like every. So glad you're here with us this morning. Um, I, uh, I, I love when summer starts and I hate when summer starts because I'm a pastor. <laughs> and I pastor in Michigan, which means that summertime, I see like about a third of your faces every week. And uh, I hate when summer ends. And I love when summer ends because that means people are coming back, start to see you. It's so good to see. And let me just, a special welcome to um, our college students. Uh, a lot of you are starting back. Classes are kicking off and you're back. And we just want you to know that you're welcome here. And uh, we love having you. Uh, we love your energy. And uh, uh, listen to this if I can, if I can just like, give you one small piece of advice. And this is coming from somebody who knows... Uh, Find a church, I don't care if it's TLC or if it's another church, but find a church that you will plug into every single week, all right? Uh, I, I did four years, three and a half years at a Christian college. Um, only one of those years did I find a church that I was at consistently, and it was honestly the best year uh, of my college experience. Uh, you were created to be a part of a local church, and uh, as awesome as college is, whether you're at GVSU or Grace or Cornerstone or Kuiper or wherever else you might be at, CC, um, you need a place uh, where you can come and worship and be in the presence of God. And there's something that unique that happens when we gather together as a church. So if it's not TLC, that's cool. I, I'm like, I'm fine with that. But find one and engage. Check it out for a week or two and then commit. Because quite honestly, no church is perfect. So nobody's going to have everything that you're looking for. And truth is, if you found a perfect church and you started going there, you'd wreck it. So, you know, um, but we're glad you're here. Uh, I'm excited to be able to uh, talk about the second half of what we started last week. Last week, uh, we said uh, discipleship is, and we answered that question, and I'll remind us of that answer in a minute. And this week, we can talk about disciples do. Or the way it was printed in the program, it said discipleship do. But disciples do. And I want to start by asking the question, have you ever been lost? Have you ever been lost? Uh, I've never personally uh, been lost except for that three-hour span in Ikea. Uh, eventually, though, I started to follow the lines and figured out how to get out of there. But this guy, this guy got lost. Let's show the video now incredible story of survival. A California man who went on a fishing trip and somehow got lost without food or water for five days. He even wrote his final words to his family just in case, but he managed to hang on until help arrived. For Mike Villauer, a one-day fishing trip Hello! soon turned into a five-day struggle for survival, reminiscent of the movie Castaway. Anybody? This is going to be it. Instead of catching his dinner at this Northern California lake, Villauer reeled in a lot of trouble, somehow getting lost away from his campsite. Just zigzagging up and down, looking down instead of looking and taking note of my surroundings. Without food or water, Villauer spent the next four days wandering through the nearby mountains, searching for a way out. I had to do my own version of the survivor man, the idiot's version, with drinking out of 
puddles. Using tree needles to make a giant eight-foot help sign, just like the one in that Tom Hanks movie, trying to send a message to rescuers. I heard the helicopters on more on a few occasions. You get emotional and, hey, they're going to see me, and then nothing. Fearing searchers wouldn't find him in time, Villauer carved more messages in wood. Final notes to his family. They kept on missing me, missing me. Finally, on the fifth day, rescuers arrived. That was quite a sight, and they were all in orange and everything else, so it was, uh, you know, Christmas. This morning, despite his ordeal, Villauer says he's ready to plan another fishing trip, and he wants to thank his rescuers. I'm going to go back up there and buy a whole lot of rounds of beer at some point. <laughs> Perfect. It's one way to thank your rescuers, buy a whole bunch of rounds of beer. Unless you're in college and you're not 21, okay, then you can just, you know. Root beer. Root beer. <laughs> I do love my root beer, I'm not going to lie. I've never been lost like that guy. But I can put myself in his shoes and, and, and think about what that must have felt like, right, to have helicopters flying over and you get excited and then they just keep going. They don't find you. Now, now, now the thing with uh, Mike, this happened back in 2014, he said something that, that I thought was really interesting. He said that uh, he was just zigzagging his way up the mountain looking for crickets. You see, he was probably lost well before he realized it. <laughs> But at some point, he finally looks up and feels, recognizes that he's actually lost. Uh, I, I've never been lost like that, but I felt lost in life. I remember um, when I was a freshman in college and my girlfriend of two and a half years in high school dumped me, felt lost. Two days, my senior year of college, when my now wife dumped me and I felt lost. You see a theme recurring? I, I'm not even joking. Uh, I literally still to this day have nightmares uh, where my wife and I are not married and I see her and I'm longing for, like I still have issues. She, she even, she's always like, did you have one of those dreams again, honey? She's always trying to reassure me really nice. I know. I know. <laughs> I, uh, I remember feeling lost um, when I was 21 and my, my seven-year-old brother Cody passed away. Uh, I remember um, feeling lost just a few years ago when uh, I thought God had specifically called me to do a job, prepared me to do that job, and then that position was offered to somebody else, and, and I was kind of dumbfounded. I remember feeling really lost uh, when at the age of 39, I was jobless for six months. Like, it's one thing to be like jobless when you're like 22 for a few months, or when you're 16 for a few months. But when you're 39 and you got four kids, like, you start asking some questions. Um, I think all of us wind up feeling lost at different points in our life. 
wondering, like, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to be? Uh, Because one thing that I've learned over the the years, and, and I'll tell you, the older I get, the more true it becomes, that it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you came from, doesn't matter how much money you got, doesn't matter who you know or what you know, at some point, every single person on this planet experiences disappointment, experiences death, death of a dream, death of an expectation, death of a relationship, like we all do. And it's in those moments that we often feel lost. The truth is is that many of us can even kind of go through life just like Mike Villauer, where you're actually lost, but you don't realize it. It's usually in moments where we, something kind of smacks us in the face, a disappointment, a difficulty, some sort of pain, that it kind of takes our eyes off of the ground that we're zigzagging up in life and makes us realize, whoa, 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 I'm not sure I know where I'm at. Last week, we talked about what discipleship is, okay? Do you remember the definition that I gave you? Discipleship is Jesus above all. Very good. Jesus above all. And we looked at a passage where Jesus called the very first disciples. And does anybody remember the three words that Jesus used when he called them? Come, follow me. Good. Woo! Impressive. Come, follow me. Those are the three words that Jesus used. And we talked about each one of those words. Come assumes that you have to leave something and go someplace else. Right? I mean, that's just what, that's an assumption that come assumes. Follow assumes that we're not the ones making the calls anymore, right? And me assumes relationship with Jesus. When Jesus says, come follow me, it's not come follow a philosophy or come follow a list of rules. It's come follow a person, a relationship. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is putting Jesus above all and saying, Jesus, whatever, wherever, I'm in. I'll go. It's not always fun, it's definitely not always easy, but it's always best. So today I want to kind of finish the second half of that. That's what discipleship is, but what do disciples do? Spoiler alert, I'm going to drop it on you right now, all right? Disciples do what their master does. I mean, like, it's literally that simple, you're like, oh, that's it. Like, yeah, you, I mean, you could literally probably walk away and be like, all right, I got it. I'm good. Disciples do what the master does. That, I mean, it's simply that basic. Here, here's the thing that I found, though. Uh, the basic stuff of Christianity, of discipleship, like, I think it's usually the hardest stuff. It's the things that we often forget or we assume that we just know them, and so they kind of get put off to the side because basic stuff is like, well, give me the, give me the, like, the more in, intense stuff or, or, or the more interesting stuff or, or the stuff that's going to kind of make me go, woo. But the basic stuff, that's like rubber meets the road. That, that's the real stuff. I, I, I struggle sometimes with the basic stuff. I would honestly, I'd rather teach a passage that like there's some really cool biblical insights that you probably didn't know that I kind of learned. I get to share them with you and you're like, oh, that was so cool. Like I never heard that before. Like, 
And then today I just get to say to you, well, disciples do what the master does. And you're like, well, okay, yeah, I know, I've heard that before. Like, I, like I, I get it. But this is actually the difference maker. This is when you know whether you're actually a disciple or just a Christian. You see, last week, that's one of the things that I said that maybe was a little bit surprising to you. Uh, there's a lot of people I know that are Christians that are not disciples. And I use the word Christian very loosely. Uh, one of the things that, that scares me to death, living in West Michigan, is the fact that I, I know a lot of people who know about Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus. There's a lot of folks that, like, they go to church, they got the religious stuff kind of down pat, they know the answers to say, and, and my fear is that what's going to happen is what happens in Scripture when they're going to get to heaven and they're going to say, hey, Jesus, I know you, and Jesus says, really? Because I, I never knew you. And I'll, like, I feel like we're probably in West Michigan more susceptible to that reality than probably almost any other type. Folks that know about Jesus and don't actually know him. Now I get like, wow, Torn, this is getting kind of like a little, little tough, a little mean. Like, I, look, I want to pastor a church that nobody can stand before Jesus and have that conversation and have no excuse. I, I, I'd rather just at least lay it out the way that the Bible lays it out. Okay? Now, I'm not telling you I'm perfect at this. I'm not perfect at it. And I'm not expecting you to be perfect at it either. But what I do want you to know is that simply knowing about Jesus is not the same as knowing Jesus. Calling yourself a Christian is not the same as being a disciple. And you'll know if you're a disciple if you do what Jesus does. So... What does Jesus do? He does a lot of things, actually, but I want to talk about one in particular today. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open up to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at two passages. I'm going to share with you one more story. And after that story, I'm going to give some application. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hands. we got some uh, folks coming down. You can grab a Bible from them. Joan, by the way, those shorts are awesome. I'm just saying. <laughs> Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners, which I don't know why they said both, tax collectors and sinners, because if you were a tax collector, you were a sinner. Like, that, like Those two things, they're one, okay? Tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. This is really interesting because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're supposed to be like, they're the quote-unquote West Michigan nice Christians, okay? And you got the people who are kind of like seen as like the non-Christians, right? The ones that are not spiritual, that are dirty, if you will. They're the ones that actually want to hang out and listen to Jesus. So the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they see all these folks kind of gathering around Jesus, and they start muttering to themselves, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus got accused of a lot of different things. 
This is one that happens uh, actually over and over in his ministry. In fact, we're going to find that they accuse him of the same thing in the next passage we look at. And Jesus hears them saying this, and he has a response. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus actually goes on and tells two more parables after this one. I'm not going to get into those today, but his point was, look, of, of course, that, 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 that's what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd goes after lost sheep. Like, that, that, like that's what they do. And he says, and when we find one, we rejoice. Look, like, if you've ever been at one of our baptism services, which we're going to be having one uh, a little bit later in a couple months this fall, like, that's party time. Like, that's celebration time, when people share the story of, like, how Jesus found them when they were lost, how their life got transformed and changed, and how they want to tell the world that Jesus is real, they've experienced that. That's party time. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's like, hey, you find a lost sheep, like, man, you get pumped, you call up your friends, you invite them over, you party, like, that's what it's about. Christians should know how to party for the right things, but we should know how to party. Jesus says he leaves the 99. Disciples do what the master does. Jesus says, I I will eat with sinners. I hang out with sinners. Right? However you want to define that. All right? Because if you're a Democrat, you define sinner one way. If you're a Republican, you define sinner another way. Right? You're straight, you define sinner another way. You're LGBTQ, you define sinner another way. All of us wind up defining sin usually based on what we've experienced in our own life. The pain, the difficulty, the way people have hurt us. Jesus says, I will hang out with anybody who's willing to hear what it means to give their life to me. Because when you find Jesus, that's when redemption comes in. And truth is, there is not a single person in this world that is not a sinner. Myself included. But when we come to Jesus, Jesus says, you come and you will experience redemption, transformation, forgiveness. That no matter what you had before, no matter where you were before, you can get transformed to become exactly what God always intended, to find life and life to the full. Now hear me out. Remember what I said discipleship is? Jesus over all. That means Jesus gets to call the shots. Jesus gets to define what sin is, not you. Jesus gets to define what following him looks like, not you. There's all kinds of things I said last week that I'd probably like to do differently. Things that I'd probably say, I want that to be differently. And Jesus is like, A, you don't know everything. I'm like, yeah, okay, true. B, I created all this, so I actually know how it's supposed to work. Yeah, okay, true. C, let me be God, do what you're supposed to do. And I'm like, all right, cool. 
I don't have to like everything, but I do have to obey and follow and trust. Jesus defines. It's what discipleship is. Now, disciples do what Jesus did, which is to go after those who don't yet know Jesus. So regardless of their background, regardless of their belief system, they can understand and experience that forgiveness. Flip over with me to Luke chapter 19. One more passage. Luke chapter 19. Starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, which is interesting because the root of his name, Zacchaeus, actually means pure or righteous or innocent. <laughs> this dude is anything but, all right? He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. Chief tax collector, that's like, you're like baller mode, okay? Because you are the one that actually oversees all the other tax collectors. So not only do you get your cut from the taxes you collect, but you get a cut from all of them as well. Homeboy is rolling in the dough, all right? He's got a little Napoleon syndrome, though, because he's short. Maybe Napoleon had Zacchaeus syndrome, I don't know. Verse three, he wanted to see Jesus, uh, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. I think he got a picture uh, of a sycamore fig tree. You can see what it looked like. They have low-lying branches. It's not like he like had to climb up a big oak and was like 30 feet up in the air. Like He just climbs up, he's probably five, six feet up, you can kind of see over everybody. Verse five, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, we read this, we think like maybe that's a little forward of Jesus, right? Hey, get out of the tree. I'm coming over and you're going to make me a meal. But, but that was a huge honor to ask to eat with someone if you are a teacher like Jesus. I mean, Zacchaeus had to be just shocked. Shocked and like so honored. You want to cook me? You could be like, I'll cook you up. Oh, you can eat sushi. Whatever, like whatever, like, you know, cheesecake factory, cheesecake, like Zacchaeus had it. He had access to it. This was going to be an awesome opportunity. He would get the teacher, Jesus, to come hang with him. What Jesus is actually doing here is an invite. It doesn't sound like an invite, but it sounds more like a command. But it's really an invite. It's like, hey, you want to hang out? You want to get together? So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. You see, Jews hated tax collectors, especially, especially a chief tax collector. The reason is because they thought they were sellouts. All right, they were usually Jewish people that were hired by the Roman government. They would not only tax their fellow brothers and sisters, but they would actually usually overtax and take that extra. And now he's like the chief of the tax collectors. And so, like, not just the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would have been muttering. Like, everybody would have been like, man, man this dude. Jesus is going to go eat with him? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. 
Uh, this is well beyond Old Testament law and Old Testament expectations for how Zacchaeus was supposed to write this wrong. But because Zacchaeus has this moment of grace with Jesus, where Jesus comes to spend time with him, his life gets transformed. See, a lot of times we kind of, we hear about Jesus and like, I feel like it's like a, it's like a half transformation. Like it's, well, I'm willing to get up on Sundays and well, I'll probably give a little something in, in the plate and well, maybe I'll, you know, serve here or there once or twice. And it just kind of feels like it's half. I'm not saying that like giving to church or serving or at church or, or going to church, like that's the definition of a disciple. It's not. Okay? But it's part of it. I, I, Jesus is like, I, I, I want all. And Zacchaeus is like huge, massive truth. Like it's big time. Sometimes I look at my own life and, 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 and I see spots, times where I'm like, man, I was all in. I remember what it was like when I got serious about my relationship with Jesus when I just fell in love with him. Uh, for me, um, I grew up going to church, but my junior year of high school, uh, excuse me, sophomore year of high school, I got really passionate about Jesus. Like, I don't know what it was. I, there's not like a moment. It was just, I fell in love with Jesus. I, I don't know how else to describe it. He found me, okay? And as a result, like, I just wanted so badly to do whatever it meant to follow Jesus. I was willing to do anything. So at the time, uh, the people that I looked up to were like super fundamentalist, okay, like super conservative. So, so they told me I needed to get rid of all my rap tapes. Yes, tapes. I know that's how old I am. Okay. So I was like, cool, man. I'll get rid of my rap tapes. I don't care. Then they told me you need to listen to only Christian music. I was like, cool. I will only listen to Christian music. They're like, you need to listen to only acapella Christian music. I was like, I will listen to terrible acapella Christian music if that's what it means to follow Jesus. Like, I didn't care. But whatever it meant, okay, now I look back now and I realize, okay, that's not exactly what discipleship ought to look like, but I look back at the time and I think, man, like, I was so in love with Jesus, it didn't matter what it meant, I was willing to do it. And there's times in my life now, as a 44-year-old man, that I think to myself, I, I want more, I want more of that 15-year-old, 16-year-old kid. I want, I want more of that Zacchaeus kind of transformation. Now that's what I want for all of us. You see, uh, Jesus says this in verse 9. He says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. <clears throat> Disciples do what the master does. The master sought out lost people. Friends, we have to be that. Uh, it's easy for me to get, uh, like I'm a pastor, so I, I'm like with Christians all the time. Okay. The most, you know, lost person I hang out with most of the time is Jordan. <laughs> so, <laughs> he needs our worship, right? <laughs> now there's a seek and say, I need to seek. We, we need to seek. Just simply because we have a bunch of other Christians who think we're the next cool thing. And so they show us because, like, ooh, I like this church better than that other church. I want our church to grow because 
we're inviting people who don't know Jesus or who have walked away from Jesus. And they show up and they experience the power and presence of Jesus in our midst. And their lives become transformed. But guys, that doesn't happen unless that's all of our mission. Look, discipleship is Jesus over everything. That no matter what I want, I say, Jesus, I want what you want. You define reality for me. You define how I'm supposed to live my life. You define what's right and what's wrong. I take your word and I trust it and I obey it. That's what discipleship is. But look, discipleship also assumes that you do something. And disciples do what the master does. And Jesus was all about seeking and saving the lost. Now, you don't save anybody. Alright? You don't save anybody. That's Jesus' job. But we do seek and invite. That's our job. That's how we act like the master. You never know who's looking at the lost sheep was not looking. I don't even know if the lost sheep well, probably knew it was lost. It was like, hey, where's my friend? It knew it needed rescue. Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus. He knew he needed something. Alright? Here's the thing. You never know when someone is looking for rescue. I want to show you uh, one more video. A guy who you would never expect be looking for rescue yet needed it as much as anyone. Let's go ahead and show that. So in my head, I was like, okay, I'm gonna accept Christ in front of everybody right now. Then I'm gonna go home and snort drugs until I don't wanna do them anymore. And that was my way of thinking. So I received Christ at the church. I went home, neglected my daughter and put her in front of the TV. I remember I grabbed a $100 bill. I always used a $100 bill for some reason, pride or something. I chopped up my crystal meth, got it all smooth and powdery, and I snorted a big old line. And I held the bill and I looked up and I said, Jesus, if you're real like that pastor said, then you gotta take these drugs from me. Come into my life, come into my heart. And I just got quiet. I said, search me right now, search my heart. And I stayed silent. And I said, you know I wanna quit. You know I want to be a good dad for this kid. She lost her mother to drugs, and she's going to lose me if I don't quit. Amen. There's a high when you go on stage and you see all these people, like, just loving your music and loving you and stuff, and there's these girls and all these people going, <laughs> worshiping me. When you see all those people just going nuts for you, it's like, you know, it, it puffs you up inside. You're like, you know, I'm important. That's where drugs can creep in and, you know, cocaine or whatever, methamphetamines crept in. And it all came from after drinking for me and, and my friends. And uh, it seems like fun in the beginning. It's a lie because it, it, it turns around on you. It starts to wear on your personality. It starts to wear on your relationships. And everything is affected by it negatively. Everything. There was a, a few times where life seemed good. My daughter, Jenea, she came into the world and I was like, it was just such a, a euphoric feeling. I thought my life could just feel like that forever, you know? It was like a, 
go spiritual. Just, I didn't know what was happening. I just felt so much love just fill my emotions. And I thought I was gonna be happy, but uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't stay sober. I didn't know how. I hit rock bottom. I had swore that I would never do methamphetamines again because I saw what it did to my child's mother. It, it just took her feelings away and made her leave her kid. I just wanted her dead. I wanted to kill her. I thought she was a scum of the earth. And uh, you know, how could she do drugs like that and let, it, let the drugs win her like that? So I never was gonna do meth again. I ended up with a everyday crippling addiction to methamphetamine and everything that I said about my ex-wife came true for me. I sunk to the lowest gutter I could ever think of. I would spend time with my kid and I would still be on it because I needed it to function. I'd get up in the morning, have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and snort meth and then take her to school or whatever. It was just, I was a junkie. I started losing my mind. This guy would show up at my house with like a gun and stuff. And then I ran out in Europe, had my drug dealer just crazy. send me drugs through through the mail. I'd be tweaked out in my hotel room watching this package come from the U.S. It was just nuts. My life just was like spinning out of control. And Janae had come out on, a, on one of the tours in the U.S. I just remember me. her skipping around the house She's singing one of our corn songs called Adidas. All day I dream about sex. And I'm like going, what am I doing? I'm a junkie. My daughter's singing All Day I Dream About Sex and uh, I'm gonna die. Father? My uh, real estate broker, Eric, he, uh, he said, Brian, I don't mean to be weird with you, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I, f I felt the scripture like jump out at me. I've never done this before, you know, so I don't really know how to do this, but I felt like this would mean something to you. It's Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I remember all tweaked out. I looked up in the dictionary, weary. I looked up burdened, and I just I pulled the scripture apart, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm weary and burdened, and I need rest for my soul, and uh, I didn't know if it was real, but you know they invited me to church a couple couple weeks later, and I had received Christ at the church. I went home, neglected my daughter, got it all smooth and powdery. Jesus, you got to take these drugs from me. Search me right now. Search my heart. Father, I felt so much fatherly love from from heaven, and it was like I don't condemn you. I love you, I love you, it was just love, love, and instantly that love from God came into me. It was so powerful that the next day I threw away all my drugs and uh, I quit corn. I was like, I'm quitting corn and I'm gonna raise my kid because my kid, like I got the love from God coming to me and then it came out of me to my kid, it changed me. My heart was changed like that and I was like, Janaya, Daddy's gonna be home with you all the time. I'm quitting my career. And her face lit up and she's like, for me? You know, she felt so special and uh, God used her to save me.
to save her life later on. My dream came true way more than I dreamt about. I, got, I made more money. I played bigger shows. I mean, houses, cars. I tried drugs. I tried sex. I tried everything to try to get pleasure out of this life. And I thought that I could fulfill my life with all this stuff by, by having my dream come true. And it came true, but it didn't fulfill it. When Christ came in, that feeling, he gives you the gift of understanding life, which is everything was created for Christ and by him, and we're created to be with him. So maybe that's you today. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you didn't have Brian's story where like, you were like far, far from God. Maybe you've kind of been close to God for a really long time, but you don't actually know him. Uh, maybe your story is kind of like Brian's. Either way, we're a church that wants to seek and save the lost. And Jesus does that. And so I simply want to say this. I, just, like, I can't talk about this and then not give an opportunity for you to respond. I can't not at least give an invitation. So I don't know what your story is, where you grew up, what you know, what you don't know, but I just simply want to say this. If you've never actually asked Jesus to come in to take over your life, then I want to pray right now for you. And if that's you, then just pray along with me, and I'm going to ask you to respond by raising your hand so that I can see it, all right? So let's just pray real quick, and then I have a couple quick things I want to share with followers of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I just pray right now for anybody who's wrestling. God, you're speaking to them. They feel it in their heart. They know that they need to give themselves fully to you. Listen to their prayer right now, Lord. If that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus, just pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in your death and your resurrection. I want new life. I give you permission to come in and take over. Today I choose to follow you. Amen. Look, if that was you, if you just prayed that prayer, look, we want to know a couple reasons. One, we want to celebrate, and two, I want to be able to follow up with you. So if there's anybody here, just raise your hand real quick, just so I can see. Yep. Yep. All right. I want to connect with both of you. Afterwards, just come find me. I want to make sure we get some ways to, to follow up. And we want to be able to celebrate, church. Like, that's, that's what it's about. Now, look. Um, those of you that follow Jesus already, uh, we have to be people who are seeking all right? Inviting. That's what Jesus does. That's what disciples do. Okay? So this is what I want to say. Um, one of the things we've talked about in the past is who are you praying for? So pray for three. Okay? Who are your three? So I'd love you to start thinking about that again if you don't know right now. All right? If you are unsure, pray for three. Who are the three people that you're just going to keep praying for? You're not sure when to pray? Pray Monday, Wednesday, Friday. All right? Boom. Simple. Easy. You're going to do it when you take a shower 
on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Now you know what day you're going to do it. You know when you're going to do it. Now you want to know what to pray for? Pray that God would start to give them a spiritual hunger and give you opportunities to invite them into spiritual conversations, invite them to church. All right? That's simple. Now this is what I want you to listen for in your daily conversations. If you have a pen, I want you to write these things down, okay? You're going to listen for three things, the three knots. Like, what are the three knots? Let me tell you. I'm stealing these from a guy named Andy Stanley. He's a pastor down in Atlanta. Uh, I think these are fantastic ways to think about opportunities or look for opportunities to invite people, okay? Number one, if somebody is not from here, you're having a conversation, Somebody's like, oh, I'm not from around here. Uh, I grew up uh, in Detroit or I grew up down south or wherever. Somebody who's not here or they say, I'm not going to church right now. Okay? That's number one. Your instant response is, oh, you're not from here? Oh, you're not going to church right now? Hey, you should come to church with me this Sunday. Listen for that knot. Second knot, I'm not sure what to do. Not sure about my future, not sure about this job, what I should do. I'm not sure about this relationship. If you hear somebody say, I'm not sure about blank, and say, oh, you know what? You should come to church with me this Sunday. Number three, the third not, okay? Things are not going well. My relationship with my kid, my marriage, uh, my job, my school, whatever, Something's not going well. My health. You say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. You should join me at church this Sunday. You see, what I'm trying to do is get us to think that every time we hear one of those knots, our instant response is, hey, you should join me at church. Not simply you should go to church, <laughs> all right? You should join me at church. See, that's what Jesus did. Hey, Zacchaeus, let's go hang together. Jesus literally is church. Okay, maybe not literally, but he is the body, okay? We are his body. Invite him to church. Now, we're going to be kicking off a new series in two weeks. Next week, uh, Ryan's going to be sharing with us. And then in two weeks, we kick off a brand new series called Love What You Do. The whole series is really about uh, what does God think about our work, our vocation, our calling, about rest, who we were intended to be, because so many of us rest with that, right? Like, what am I supposed to do in life? Sometimes you're in your 40s or 50s and you're asking that question. Have I been doing what I'm supposed to do? Is my job really what I'm supposed to be about? Is that what I'm supposed to be giving my life to? And we want to spend some time answering some of those questions. It's a, I'm so excited to be able to engage with this out of Genesis 1 through 3, uh, it's going to be a fantastic opportunity, especially for those of you that are like in college or just starting your careers. You got, I know you're asking these questions. Am I, am I majoring in the right major? I got a degree in this, but am I actually supposed to be doing this? We want to spend some time talking about work, calling, vocation, and rest. God's plan for our purpose in life, what we were created to be. Think about inviting somebody. Who are you pursuing? Friends, we know that a disciple puts Jesus above all, and a disciple does what Jesus does, which is to seek and save. We want to be about that. Let's pray, and then we're going to engage in a time of communion where we get to spend time with Jesus and worship together. God, we want to be a church that is about your mission, seeking and saving the lost. Father God, 
Help us to be people who have the guts, like Jesus, to leave the 99 at times, to pursue relationships. God, we, we never know who's going to be ready. I love uh, Brian's story, his testimony. A realtor named Eric. <laughs> a realtor named Eric shared a verse with him. Invited him to church. The lead singer of a huge band, a junkie, a guy who seemingly had everything this world had to offer, and yet he was lost and he knew it. God, thank you for the Eric's who are in our community, who are in our congregation. God, we want to be Eric's as realtors, as teachers, as businessmen, as businesswomen, as people in our neighborhoods, nurses, doctors, engineers, garbage men. God, we want to be your hands and feet. Give us the guts. Open up opportunities for us to invite. Thank you for inviting us. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, at this time we're going to move into a time of communion. A communion is one of the things that Jesus asked us to do in remembrance of him. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to have specific union or unity with Jesus by partaking in his body and blood. Now, it's not literally body and blood, okay? We use grape juice and gluten-free crackers, okay? But there is something mystical, spiritual that happens when we partake of the elements. Uh, Jesus said this in 1 Corinthians. Let me flip over there. Not, not Jesus, excuse me. Paul said this, quoting Jesus. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. This is a testimony, an opportunity for us to be unified with Christ, unified with one another remembering what he has done. And for two of you today, you can partake remembering very, very vividly. Today, friends, we get to worship. We get to partake in his death and resurrection. And we get to go out and proclaim that to our friends and family, to a world that is waiting. When you're ready, you can come forward and partake, and let's worship together.